Welcome to the True Vine Podcast. Wherever you are listening, we hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and brings perspective that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Praise the Lord to the saints of True Vine Pentecostal Church. I greet you all in the name of Jesus Christ. I give honor to your pastor, Brother Durant. Thank you again to allow me to come into your lives and share some words of prophecy with you. Um, I want to pick up where I left off on the last segment, and that is the fullness of the Gentiles. When the end of the fullness of the Gentiles or the fullness is fulfilled, it will be the rapture of the church. This is a time when God has finished calling from the Gentiles a people of his name. Thus, the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy begins immediately after this great happening called the rapture. And there are those who say that the 70th week of Daniel has already been fulfilled by either Antiochus Epiphanes when he invaded Jerusalem in 268 BC or by the Roman Titus and Vespasian in 70 AD. But this is not possible according to the scripture that Jesus spoke to us. Matthew 24 and 15, when you therefore shall see the abominations of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. So it was yet to come. That didn't happen. Jesus said, when you shall see him stand in the holy place and cause the abomination of desolations. The reason they like to refer to Antiochus Epiphanes, because he was a wicked man who brought about a sacrifice of pigs upon the altar in the temple of Israel. And unfortunately, he was a uh, diabolical man, but he was not the Antichrist, but he could have been a forerunner of the Antichrist. There are many people who have the spirit of Antichrist. We as the church know we have the spirit of Christ and not the spirit of Antichrist. Mark thirteen fourteen says, but when you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not. In other words, this image is raised up in the temple where it should not be. Let him that readeth understand then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. And this is the portion where Israel is running for their lives against the wrath of the Antichrist who tries to literally destroy every Jew from the face of the earth. So Jesus lived after Antiochus Epiphanes and still viewed the 70th week of Daniel as a future event. Daniel 9 and 24, we read uh, in the last session, is to bring, literally to bring a determination upon thy people, thy holy city, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy capital H, which is talking about Jesus Christ as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The 70 weeks were to bring in what was called everlasting righteousness. This is the millennium age or the thousand years of peace, which I'm sure you've heard referred to over the years in the church. These were to finish the transgression and make an end of the sins of Israel's rejection of her Messiah. The two events are yet future. They have not happened yet. We have never seen a thousand years of peace, but we will see them when Jesus subdues the armies of the world at uh, Armageddon. And he sets up a throne in Jerusalem and rules with Israel as kings and priests across the entire world. <clears throat> Certainly, we're not in the millennium right now, nor have the Jews as a nation accepted Jesus to be the Messiah. They still are believing that he is Jehovah and the Messiah is yet to come. 
Thus, the end of the 70 weeks is still future, according to the scripture. He'll confirm these weeks or a covenant, Daniel 9 and 27. He'll confirm this covenant for one week. And in the midst of it, which we talked about last uh, service, he will break that covenant and he will bring death and destruction upon Israel. And he will bring a desolation of abominations in the temple. The 70th week, the principal figure in the 70th week is the prince that shall come, which is not capitalized prince. That means he's the Antichrist as spoken in verse 26 of Daniel 9. He'll confirm this covenant with Israel, seven-year covenant he'll make with them. But in three and a half years, he will break that covenant in the midst of the week, and he will raise up his own image in the temple, and he will cry out to the world to fall before him and to worship him. Daniel chapter 28, verse 14 through 19. Wherefore, hear the word of the Lord, ye scornful men that rule the people which is in Jerusalem, because you have said we have made a covenant with death and with hell. Now listen to this. It's a covenant of peace, Israel says, with the Antichrist. But when God looks at it, he calls it a covenant of death and hell that they agree with the, de the devil, literally. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us, for we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood we have hid ourselves. So Isaiah is foretelling of this covenant with death and hell under the Antichrist in Isaiah 28, verse 15. Verse 16 says, Therefore saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Well, that's a big difference, isn't it? Judgment also will I lay to the line. Righteousness to the plummet, and the hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies, and the water shall overflow. In other words, the surge of the Antichrist against Israel will purge this mess from their minds, from their hearts, and they will realize they have made a covenant with death and hell. Verse 18 says, And your covenant with death shall be disannulled, and your agreement with hell shall not stand. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, then you shall be trodden down for it. That's when they are told to run to the hills and, and pray that they can get off the rooftops in time and disappear into the desert. Verse 19 says, From the time that goeth forth, it shall take you. For morning by morning shall it pass over, by day and by night. It shall be a vexation only to understand the report. So Israel prophesied of the same covenant, which is called a covenant of death and hell. And God directs his word toward the scorners, which were rulers of Jerusalem in verse 14, spiritual leaders of the Jews. These are scorners or rejectors of Jesus Christ, and they shall be the ones that make this covenant with this Antichrist prince. And then in verse 15, the Jews make their covenant with death and hell, not realizing that this covenant is based on lies and falsehoods and that he will break it in the midst of the week. Their refuges of this covenant will vanish away, and when the covenant is broken by this prince, they will be held to destruction. Verse 16, this prophecy also foretells of Christ as the sure foundation, as opposed to the unsteady foundation of the Jews' covenant with the prince. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Please always remember, saints of God, there is no other hope outside of the rock of Jesus Christ. Keep your feet firmly planted on the foundation of Christ and him crucified and know that as the bride of Christ, we are separated and we will be called out of this world for his bride, as his bride, for his 
uh, eternal marriage. I want to be part of that day, and I know you do too. Verse 17 calls this during the time of false covenant, God's going to lay a judgment on the line and a righteousness to the plummet. This phrase refers to God's act of righteous judgment upon the Jews and the world at that time. The refuge of lies will be exposed and will be washed away by destruction. Verse 18 says the Jews covenant with the prince will be disannulled, and that is it will be broken in the middle of the week and the Jews will be trodden down by the overflowing scourge of judgment. <clears throat> you can read about that in Isaiah 17 verses 1 through 11. Isaiah is prophesying during this about poured upon the desolate that of which is determined. Verse 4 in that verse of scripture I just quoted you of Isaiah 11 verse 4 says talks about the glory of Jacob shall be made thin and the fatness of his flesh shall wax clean. In other words he will starve to death on what the Antichrist has to uh, give. Verse 9 talks about there shall be desolation, which was going to come. Verse 11 talks about a day, day, great day of grief and desperate sorrow upon Israel. So the Antichrist in this last three and a half years will absolutely turn against Israel with a diabolical hatred, and he will try to destroy every Jew from the face of the earth. The very thing that the... Uh, eastern lands that lie around Israel have been trying to do ever since Israel came into being a nation. They have tried their best to destroy this little strip of land and this little group of people. But God in his miraculous power has kept them and protected them and given them the ability of war and fighting to, do, to ward off this circumstance. But this day will come when God will literally let the destruction of the Antichrist come upon them, and many, many Jews will die during that time. Jeremiah 30, verse 4 through 7. These are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel, concerning Judah. For thus saith the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask ye now, and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and all faces turned into paleness. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's troubles. That is the time of the desolation of abominations. It's called Jacob's troubles. Notice it's the Jews. That's the center focal point of the Antichrist's destruction, the wrath of God that is poured out. But he shall be saved out of it. So God has a remnant that he will save out of the midst of this horrible hour that is coming. <clears throat> and after it's over, Israel will be saved in the sense that God will make them his people again. Matthew 24, Jesus spoke of it in verse 15 through 22. Wherefore, when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolations was spoken by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. Woe unto them that are with child, to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight not be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days be shortened, there shall no flesh be saved. Talking about the Jews. Listen to what he says next. But for the very elect's sake, those days 
shall be shortened. So he's got an elect group in those Jews that he will save from this destruction and he will deliver them. That is when he made the destruction or the destruction of the temple foretold Matthew in Mark chapter 13 and verse 14 through 20. But when you shall see this abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, verse 15, let him that is on the housetop not go down into the house, neither enter therein to take anything else. Let him that's in the field turn, not turn back for to take up his garment and flee, but woe unto them that are with child. Pray ye that your flight be not in winter, for those days shall great affliction. And that, that same wording Jesus uses tells about the destruction that is going to come when the desolation of abominations happens. Uh, you can also find that in Matthew 24, 15, Mark 13, and 14. These verses will show you that Jesus' statement refers to the beginning of the last half of the 70th week or the three and a half years at the end of the 70th week, that at this time the abomination of desolation will occur when the Antichrist breaks his covenant with Israel in, in Jerusalem. And he puts a image of himself in this holy place of the temple. It stands where it should not stand and then he brings, that is idolatry, which brings what is called uh, abomination into the house of God. Revelation 13, verse 1 through 5. I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast ride up, rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, <clears throat> and his horns ten crowns. This is the type of the ten-toed kingdom that will give the Antichrist his ability to war and have strength in the whole world. And his heads shall be the names of blasphemy. The beast, verse 2 says, which I saw was like unto a leopard. Now you notice this statement because this is how uh, I explained to you last week about Nebuchadnezzar seeing the image of gold, silver, brass, iron, and then iron and clay mix. And when this beast comes out of the sea or, or the sea of people is what the scripture means. He looks like a leopard, which was the type of the brass, which was uh, uh, Alexander, who came in as a young man, a young leader, a young conqueror. And he destroyed the kingdoms of the world and took over the world when he was yet 33 years old and died of, of a, uh, a bodily problem. I'm, I'm going to get into that. But this literal beast that comes out has every part of these animal creatures. So after God gives this revelation to Nebuchadnezzar, just a couple chapters later, later, God speaks to Daniel separately and says, these kingdoms that you saw, this is how I view them. And he shows his viewing of them, not as a colossus, not as an image of great glory from gold, silver, brass, and iron, but he says, I see them as beasts of the field. And so he saw the lion, which was typification of uh, Babylon, Babylonia and Nebuchadnezzar. He saw the bear, which is a typification of uh, the Grecian empire that came second. Uh, the third empire was the leopard, which was uh, uh, Alexander. The fourth empire was the double uh, legs, which was the eastern and western uh, kingdom of the Roman Empire of iron. And then this last kingdom is an amalgamation of all of it. And so when this beast comes out of the sea, he has a, he has a likeness to a leopard. 
His feet were as the feet of a bear, his mouth as the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority, talking about the devil. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. And we'll have to explain this as a later time. But they worshiped the dragon in verse four, which gave power unto the beast. They worshiped the beast saying, who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemer. And power was given unto him to continue 40 and two months. So you have to understand this beast is an amalgamation of the kingdoms of the Gentile nations brought together under the rulership of the Antichrist. And the Antichrist is the one that they worship and they will bow on their knees to him. It rises up out of the sea of the people. In other words, the world comes together and gives him his power. And this is how the Antichrist is able to do what he needs to do in his rise to power in the last days. Uh, Revelation also, you can see Revelation 17 and 1, there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials, talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that setteth upon many waters, talking about the apostate church and also the rise of the false prophet that will come in those days. Isaiah 17, verse 12 and verse 13, Woe to the multitude of many people! which make a noise like the noise of seas to the rushing of nations that make a rushing like the rushing of mighty waters. The nations shall rush like rushings of many waters, but God shall rebuke them. They shall flee far off. They shall be chased as the chaff of the mountains before the wind, like a rolling thing before the whirlwind. So powers given unto this beast for 42 months or three and a half years that he will rule and reign with a with a, a fervor and with a hatred against the Jews. And this is the last half of Daniel 70 the week, or the, and the beast is, a print of, is literally the identification of the people of the prince that shall come from Daniel chapter 9, 26 through 27. So now all of a sudden, another beast comes out of the water and we begin to see this beast as the apostate uh, leadership of uh, religion. Revelation 13, 11 through 18, and I beheld another verse coming out of beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, notice the wordings, and he spake as a dragon. While he may appear to be religious, holy, special, he is the devil. He exerciseth all power of the first beast before him, causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast. He is the one that commands, calls, and builds this worshiping attitude of the world before the first beast, which is the Antichrist. Uh, he doth great wonders, so that he maketh fire to come down from heaven on the earth. This is verse 13, in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to this beast, which had the wound by the sword, and then we'll talk about that at another time. He had power to give life unto the image of the beast. The image of the beast should be speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And then he causeth all, listen to this wording now, this is how you know this is not part of the church. Because if he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and he kills everybody else, this contradicts the scripture when Paul said, then we which are alive and remain, 
shall be caught up. How is there anybody going to be alive and remain if he kills those who will not take the mark and causeth all to take the mark of the beast that are left behind? So this the church is not in this. This is about this is about the judgment on the Gentile nations and the Jewish people to come back to the knowledge of the revelation of Jesus Christ. We already know who he is. We already love him. We already have given ourselves to him, and we have prepared ourselves to be with him, according to Revelation 19, when he said that the bride hath prepared herself. And that's what we're doing right now. We are living godly, holy, overcoming lives, staying full of the Holy Ghost, and preparing ourselves to walk on those streets of gold. Verse 17 goes on to say that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Now, let me let me explain how this really is going to make sense to people, and why this seems so horrid and, and pressuring and whatever. But the world will fall prey. You look where we are right now with this COVID circumstance. They're talking about not having paper money anymore. We're running out of coins. And then they're talking about, well, we need to get a chip in everybody. Mr. Gates has already brought that up. Mr. Fauci has brought that up. The former uh, prime minister of Britain brought that up and said everybody needs to have one king, one president, one ruler. And this is what the world is shoving for. This is what this attitude of the liberal left are shoving for, is that there be a rulership. And we all fall prey to that. And we literally work for them and give ourselves and our funds and our lives and our families to them. And so in the midst of all this, he's going to say, I have an answer. Your children will never be kidnapped again without us knowing exactly where they are every minute. We'll put a chip in them that will follow them and we can find them wherever they are. You will never die out in the wilderness that we cannot find your body. Your plane will not go down that we cannot find your remains. Every every bit of this will make sense to us because when you say my child's lost, the desperation that comes off and they can't find, then now we'll just have simply go to a computer and say, here he is right here, and they'll send people to pick him up and take whoever abducted him. There's just no way they can fail with that, and everybody will fall prey to this because it is a great idea. Same way with a cashless society. How can they rob you? They can't steal your wallet and your money and your credit cards anymore. You've got a chip in you that holds all your banking, all your medical, and all your history. And all they have to do is wave this reader over it, and they've got your complete life history on the screen. So you can spend money at the grocery store by simply waving your hand under a scanner, or your forehead can be scanned, and you pay for your groceries. You never have to carry anything in your pocket, no identification, nothing. This will make sense to the entire world, and they will cry, yes, 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 let us have this mark. But the church will be gone. So the people that are left have to decide, do I give my head or do I take the mark? Now, here's my saddest part of this, mor this morbid situation, and that is a father standing with his family, and they say to him, take this mark, and he says, no, you can cut my head off. While he's prepared to do so, they will not threaten him. They'll drag the little boy that's standing beside him over to the side, lay him on the gauntlet, and they'll say, either you take this mark or we're going to kill your son. 
There is no father in his right mind that's going to let his son die in that measure and in that time. And so that's why the scripture talks about uh, running with the horsemen and the rising or the flooding of Jordan. If you cannot live for God now when it is easy, how are you going to give your life for him then when it's destruction of your family, your children, and your loved ones? I bid you, if you are not ready for the rapture, get ready for the rapture. I commend you to an altar tonight to get your calling and election sure. Do not let this time pass you by. If you're at home watching this, find you a quiet place in your house and get down and cry out to God that he save you in this last day. Judgment is coming, but you can sidestep all of that by being in the body of Jesus Christ being born again of the water and the spirit, baptized in his precious name and filled with the Holy Ghost. And you can be counted a worthy to escape what is coming upon this horrible earth at that time and the judgment of an antichrist and the judgment of a great God. I plead with you tonight. Get your calling election sure. Don't be one of those that is waiting around to flee those things which are to come. So we don't want to be on the house top. We don't want to be in the field. We don't want to be waiting and then all of a sudden having to run for our lives. This great tribulation that is coming, not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be, Matthew. Jesus spoke in Matthew 24, 21. We have to be ready to bypass this great tribulation and let Jesus take us out of this world and save us from the wrath to come. And so the elect that are left, which will be the Jews, and they will be separated to God for this reign of the millennial world. Revelation chapter 6 and 17 says, For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? None will be able to stand when the wrath is poured out. Chapter 19 of Revelation 10, verse 10 and verse 19 the scripture says the same drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. Uh, verse 19, the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it in the great wine press of the wrath of God. Revelation 15 and verse 1 says, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Verse 7 says, One of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. Revelation 16 and 1, And I heard a great voice of the temple saying to the seven angels, Goes your way, pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. Verse 19 and the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And the great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her a cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. So understand this great wrath of God is falling upon Gentile nations that are godless, Gentile nations that are filled with iniquity. And the great day of his wrath is come, and they shall not be able to stand. These are determined, the Bible said, I read to you, Daniel 9, 27, to be poured out upon the desolate. Thus we see the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy is one and the same with what is called the Great Tribulation in Revelation. 
and it will be a duration of seven years. Uh, the fullness of the Gentiles happens because the rapture of the church takes place. So the 70th week of Daniel ends with Christ's return in glory. Now, there's a big difference, and this is where some people get confused. They call, talk about the second coming of the Lord as the rapture. That is not what it is. The second coming of the Lord is when he comes, when the battle of Armageddon begins and sets his foot on all of it. In other words, the coming of the Lord is a literal foot being set upon all of it and splitting that valley wide open for the battle of Megiddo. That is the second coming of the Lord. The catching away is what the scripture talks about as the rapture of the church. And I will try to deal with that in the next segment that we're dealing with. So Matthew 24 and 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened. The moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall the sign appear the coming of the son of man in heaven. Then shall the tribes of the earth mourn. They shall see the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together his elect from the fourth winds. In other words, he's gathering Israel back together into safety of his arms from one end of heaven to the other. So immediately after the great tribulation, Jesus will appear and gather his elect Israel back into himself. This is at the end of Revelation 19, verse 11. I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Listen to this. His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but himself. The many crowns of his head is told way back when you get in chapter four, five, and six, when the Bible said we were given crowns and rewards, but we do not keep those crowns and rewards. Instead, the Bible says we throw our crowns at his feet and he gathers them into one amazing crown, which he will wear on his head when he returns to earth. And so the glory of the church and their salvation and redemption, he binds together into one glorious crown, puts this on his head, and this is the crown the world sees. And while we worry about vengeance and while we worry about God showing the church for what she is, God is going to say in the last days, this is my church. This is who I redeemed. This is who I loved. and This is who I brought back with me. The Bible says with this many crowns, he comes back with a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, John 1.1, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God and was not anything created that was created without him. The armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. That's us clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth. Now, listen, I've, I've heard people all my life say, man, we're going to have swords and we're going to lob off heads during the Battle of Armageddon. We're going to fight. No, we're not. We're following him. And then verse 15 tells us exactly how this war is concluded. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the wine, wine press of his fierceness, and wrath of the Almighty God. This is found 
in Isaiah, in the latter books of Isaiah, and you can read it almost word for word to what is in the book of Revelation. And verse 16 says, He hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written. This is why you know this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. On his thigh a name is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So that when he returns, this is how Israel will receive the revelation of who he is. Israel will fall to her knees, realizing they rejected the Messiah, realizing they killed the Holy One of God, and realizing that now he has come back to save them and deliver them from the wrath of the hand of this Antichrist and the world kingdoms. And on his thigh is the very recognition that Israel will fall to their knees and say, King of kings and Lord of lords. Christ is coming with a raptured church, and he will reign over the world for eternity as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Again, I feel it heavy on my heart to tell you, get ready. Jesus is coming. You want to be behind him, following him from the marriage supper of the Lamb. You do not want to be on this earth because you would be judged. You will find later on in some of these prophetic things we'll talk about in chapter 20, chapter 21. You will be judged at a great white throne judgment. The great thing about the church is once you're redeemed, once you're raptured, judgment, the judgment seat of Christ is over. We stand before him and we receive rewards and kingdoms. We will never stand in the line of the white throne judgment. That is for the sinful and the ungodly. <clears throat> so I commend you tonight, wherever you're at, find you a place to pray. Make your calling election sure. Make sure your heart's right with God. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. My dad used to always teach us boys that, and he made that very simple. He would say, son, don't let anything stay in your heart when you lay your head down to go to sleep. If you've got sin, wrong, evil, get it out before you go to sleep because the rapture may take place and you've got to be ready for the coming of the Lord. So before I ever go to bed, I ask God to cleanse me. My dad had a simple way of doing that because uh, I had a question one time about, Dad, what if I don't remember something? And he said, listen to me. There are only certain ways that you can sin, and this is how you pray. God, if I've done anything that is contrary to you, please forgive me. If my eyes have looked upon something that are not pleasing in your sight, forgive me. If I've thought thoughts in my mind that are not pleasing to you, forgive me. If I've allowed words or things to come into my ears to feed my mind, please forgive me, Lord, of those things. If I have spoken things that are ungodly, I pray, Lord, that you would forgive me of that. If I have harbored bitterness, evil, ill will, if I've coveted, if I've done things that I shouldn't do in my heart, please forgive me. If I've done things with my hands that are not pleasing to you, Lord, if I've sinned with my hands, please forgive me. If I've walked in the way of the ungodly, please forgive me. Wash me like you did, Simon Peter, when you said at foot washing, if I wash you, you are washed with all. And then ask the Lord to forgive you before you go, lay your head down, that the wrath is not still upon you or in you should the rapture take place. I mean, let me explain it as simply as I can. You will never be judged for what you repent of. You will only be judged for what you do not repent of. 
So repent. Keep your heart right with God and be ready for him. He's going to sound a call and he's going to take his bride home. God bless you all tonight. I pray for you, your church, your pastors, that God would keep you in the hollow of his hand. We'll meet again in just a few moments. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. You can visit our website or church app if you would like to give. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe, like and share it with your friends, and tag us on social media. Because we want to witness with you what God is doing in your life. Thank you, and God bless.